0: We are back, back after a rollicking Sooners win in the Red River rivalry, back with the Sooners 6-0, and back with one Todd Lizenby for the 13th episode of the Letterman Jacket. Todd, number 13 on the Sooners' current roster, Shane Witter and J.J. Hester. Can you think of any other Sooners in recent history or wore the number 13?
1: Yeah, I can think of one that actually had a uh, pretty rollicking Red River rivalry game himself a few years ago in Who's Caleb that? Williams. Caleb Caleb Williams wore number
0: 13, indeed, and he's wearing 13, still playing for Lincoln Riley at USC. Were you up late uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, watching that team?
1: I was, actually. got back from Maryville, Missouri with my UCO travels at about, oh, midnight or so, and uh, watched the overtimes, which it felt like there were about 13 overtimes in that game.
0: That thing just kept going and going. I was somewhere between Dallas and, and OKC bit of a long story, but I landed in Thackerville uh, Saturday night, but I was able to catch the end of that game. You know what's in Thackerville, Todd. That's a knowing glance. Um, but we were, it was a night where OU had had the win uh, in, in Dallas, and then there was a bit of a cherry on top, I think, for OU fans watching Lincoln Riley, or nearly a cherry on top, watching Lincoln Riley uh, and his Trojans struggle to put away what I think is an upstart Arizona team, but not An overly impressive Arizona team, certainly not for a USC team that's got national title aspirations. Todd, we're going to dive into OU Texas, everything that went down at the Cotton Bowl over the weekend. But first, a word from some sponsors, our friends at Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and of course, our friends at Fire Lake Arena and Fire Lake Golf. Todd, I have two questions for you. Okay. One. You like music? You like live live events? I love live events. I would probably sell a kidney if Oasis ever got back together. Well, don't hold your breath there, but Fire Lake Arena's got a great slate of shows coming up. Still October 28th, ZZ Tops Raw Whiskey Tour coming to Fire Lake Arena, and I do know this about you. I mean the beard. You you should you'd fit in there. But golf. I know you're a golfer. I know you're a fall golfer. You can get some great deals at Fire Lake Golf. They're doing twilight hour rates. Uh, They've got plenty of tee time, so firelakegolf.com. Todd, we may need to get out to Shawnee. I've played Fire Lake
1: Golf golf. a lot over the years, and that course has gotten so much better over the last 15, 20 years. It really is a nice little gym outside of the metro. Lots of water. Uh, You got to be straight or you're going to have a lot of balls in the water there at Fire Lake, but it's a great, fun course to play.
0: Wouldn't have been good the last time we played together then. Uh, I wasn't on my game that no. day. None of us were, but I especially was not. On their game Saturday, though, were the Sooners. In Dallas, Cotton Bowl. Uh, we talked about it last week. was easily the biggest game in the country. It lived up to it. This was one of those classic Red River games. Back and forth. That whole first quarter had a game's worth of ridiculous moments and uh, big plays. Sooners started off hot with the interceptions that they created a lot of the momentum they needed to, to kind of swing that game or at least just to wrestle some of the control really for a lot of that game we're out in front we're up 10 uh until texas kind of clawed it back they had the goal line stand it all ends with dylan gabriel leading that five play 75 yard drive and the sooners beating the longhorns rectifying everything about last year giving brent venables his biggest win as a head coach and now all the possibilities are there for the Sooners in the back half of the season, all off of a win over the biggest rival, the game that they circle every year. So not doesn't get much bigger than what the Sooners did over the weekend. What was your experience watching that game, and what were your just initial takeaways coming from it? So the UCL Broncos played a one game in Maryville,
1: Missouri, and we got to the press box right at about 11.05. So I, the first thing I did was I set the computer up, I got the game going, got signed into the Wi-Fi, and as we kind of set up and did pregame and everything, we you know had one eye on the game. And at halftime, uh, the color analyst for our broadcast, John Fitzgerald, he interviews the SID, Chris Brannick. So I was able to kind of go back and catch up and see what was going on as he was doing that interview. I kind of stepped away for a minute, watched a little bit. At that point, that the game was in I want to say late third, early fourth quarter in that point of the game, and during our broadcast, as it was unfortunately starting to get a little bit out of hand and the Broncos were down by 20 points, uh, the final field goal and the final drive happened. And so you know this from being in a lot of press boxes, especially a lot of the smaller schools. This is my experience, but they've got the glass partitions, not just out front, but on the sides as well. So you can see into the next press box, into the next one. And it's funny at the, at the small colleges, the coaches like take the rosters and they paste them up on the, windows so nobody can see into them but we were right at Northwest Missouri State we are right next to their radio booth the booths are right next to each other and at the end of the game my laptop they were to our left and my laptop was kind of set down to my left and I could see people from their booth looking in trying to see the end of the game on my laptop because they were more interested in that than the game on the field as well so that's kind of how I took it in and then You know, I was in the back seat on the ride home from Northwest Missouri State, which was about six and a half hours. So I got a lot of time to see reactions, uh, you know, to see highlights and things like that. And it it looked like it was a classic. And then, you know, in kind of just watching back the game in fast forward on Sunday, it definitely was a classic. I don't know that it's better than twenty twenty one. I still think that one's a better, just kind of crazy ending to the game. But I mean, we're talking about two especially on the Oklahoma side of things with the way that they won two of the best Red River games ever in the span of three years. And it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And it was uh, it was a pretty cool atmosphere, even just from watching on television. You could tell it was awesome to be at the State Fair on Saturday. I'll
0: tell you one guy who does think this was better than the 2021 game. That's Andrew Rame, the Sooner Center. He said something the other day, like after after this game, we were talking to him, something like, the best day of my life before today was the 2021 game but not anymore so he he has uh 2023 topping the the Longhorns this year usurped that uh for him but I think it's an open debate but I can say is last year was my first Red River so 49 nothing was my first experience with this game and really we walked into that game and I think OU you fans walked into that game knowing how it was going to go maybe not seven completions and 49 and, nothing and that kind of a nightmare, but it, it didn't have the right feel, I think, for what an OU Texas game typically is and should be. This year had all of that back. Walking in, I mean, the whole lead-up to the week had the juice, and even though we a lot of us, and there's a lot of people eating crow this week, um, probably us included to some degree, of just thinking that Texas was ahead was above Oklahoma, but it, it had all the right feel of what an OU Texas game should be. The state fair was bumping. College game day was there. It had all the big game feel of a Red River game, and then it completely delivered on it from the very jump. I mean, the, the crowd was great. That Quinn Ewers interception, his second throw, the one right to Gentry Williams, stared him down. That, I don't, I'm not saying that Oklahoma wasn't going to be in that game or didn't, need the, didn't have the juice to, to do what they did, but if you wanted to charge up that crowd and, and kind of level the playing field immediately, that did it. And from then on, you know, Oklahoma was, was there. They, they scored first. Um, they overcame their special team struggles that were a real high wire act, especially in the first half. Um, the defense held up. They gave up some big plays, but they, they still resembled that defense that Brent Venables doesn't like this term, but Ben, don't break. Uh, the players keep using it. Uh, they did that for most of this game, most of all on that goal line stand. Uh, they showed up, and it, it really felt like one of those classic. OU-Texas games, the Cotton Bowl, and it ended with Golden Hat coming back to OU.
1: Yeah, I, I was listening to uh, the Jenny and Barry show on Monday, and, you know, Jenny mentioned Texas had over 500 yards, and it didn't really feel like it because of the way the game played out. Um, you know, there were still times where Quinn Ewers did have success, but I, I will say this. Did I pick Texas? Yes, I picked Texas to cover. I thought Texas was going to run away from Oklahoma because they were better up front. And I'll fully admit that I got it wrong. I will say, I think I mentioned every time I picked Texas that this Oklahoma team had big playability and that those big plays could keep them in the game. And so I think to come out and have that big play right off the bat was huge on Saturday. Huge for momentum. I think it was huge for the fan base as well. And look, I mean, that's your first time to really fully experience a good OU Texas game. And I think you probably saw, even from in the press box, more than any other game. And it's crazy because it's only half the stadium, but mm-hmm. your fans can change the momentum in that game. And and I feel like that kept the Oklahoma fans in it from the get-go. And, you know, then then to turn that into a touchdown as well, like that was also huge. It's It all gets back to, and this is something that we've heard so many times in the past, even with Lincoln Riley and the bad defenses in Oklahoma's past, it's complimentary football. Your offense makes a big play. Your defense has to come in and capitalize on it. Your defense makes a big play. Your offense has to come in and capitalize on it. And Oklahoma is finally doing that. And I think that's the difference between a good team and a championship team. And that's why you can't ever win a championship with a terrible defense. Oklahoma found that out the hard way. And now they've got a defense that is, at worst, an average defense. It's probably a pretty dang good defense if you just look at what it's done through literally half the season now.
0: Well, I think they, we said it, you know, they had to prove something this week and they did. And I think this might've been the purpose, perfect encapsulation of this defense and, and kind of the Sooners maybe raising the floor on themselves this season because this defense is not, uh, not yet at least the 2000 defense or one of the best in the nation, but if they're going to be a team that gives up, they can give up 530 yards, but limit Texas to two offensive scores. You know, they had the, the defensive touchdown with the pump block. They had three field goals and they had two offensive touchdowns. They're not letting teams into the end zone. And if they continue to do that, maybe that catches up to them when you are playing a college football playoff game or a semifinal or even a Big 12 title game. But on the whole, you will win 10, 11, 12 games, especially with the schedule that the Sooners have by doing that. And that's what I mean when I say raising the floor with this defense. Uh, I, I think they are a really good defense. I think that was their. Even not, not statistically, but that was their best showing of the year was what they did Saturday. But it doesn't I, need to be limiting a team to seven points and 250 yards to show us that they're good. That goal line stand and, and just keeping Texas out of the end zone showed a lot. I think it's one of the most promising parts. We're going to get to their college football playoff resume and, and kind of making that case. That's really encouraging to me.
1: How many times do you see teams who offensively, they may not be great at moving the ball, but if they can hit you for four or five big plays, they're going to win football games. And I think, you know, defensively, it's the same concept. If you are going to take advantage of those opportunities when the ball gets thrown your way and you're going to intercept it and flip the field, you can you can give up some yards. You can bend a little bit. And I really do think, I said this last week with you and Jenny, I think this Oklahoma defense reminds me a lot of the Oklahoma State defense in 2011. That was very much... Ben, but don't break and it got them to you know an overtime loss in Ames away from being in a national championship game and I think you know honestly offensively there are probably a lot of similarities as well I think before the season you would have told me I was crazy to say that uh, Oklahoma offensively was going to be as good as that 2011 Oklahoma State team but they've shown it through six games as well so you know as long as they keep making those plays uh, they're they're going to be in every football game and defensively The thing that they're doing also very well is they're getting off the field on third downs. That's been huge this year. Mm -hmm. They've gotten off the field on third downs. They've taken advantage of when the ball is thrown to them. And if you can do those things in 2023 with the offense that they have, you're going to win football games, especially in this conference.
0: So the defense did its job largely, even though it, it gave up 10 points in the fourth quarter, the touchdown, the go ahead field goal with a minute 17 left. And then the ball went to Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners and, you know, I, tweeted something like it right before the drive and just said 70 seconds in the biggest drive of, of Dylan Gabriel's career and, and of, you know, of this OU season. All they did and really made it look easy. Texas kind of went into the pre I, I think there's a lot to be said about the coaching in this game from the Texas side, Steve Sarkeesian and his staff. But Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners, five plays, 75 yards. Uh, they, they got downfield with some chunk plays. Drake Stoops, Julio Farouk had big plays. They got the penalty that got them right down there. Uh, and then, what a play on that final, final touchdown pass! Because you've got, you know, you look around, you could find ten MVPs in that play. Austin Stogner blocked two guys or picked two guys. Walter Rouse legitimately blocked two guys on the left edge, and Dylan Gabriel to stand in there and make that throw. He's not a big quarterback. Never, you know, it's not part of his game. I, he's Eli. I don't know how he saw him. It's unbelievable. You and you can actually hear if you listen to the right videos of it. I don't know about the game broadcast, but. The right videos, you can hear the Texas fans begin to cheer because they think they've got a sack. right? And somehow Dylan Gabriel stays upright. Everything's converging around him. He he eventually takes a hit at the end of it, but he gets that pass off and lofts it to Nick Anderson in the corner of the end zone. Bit of a bust, a miscommunication there for Texas. But that play and that series really encapsulated to me, and we're going to get to plenty more on Dylan Gabriel, but of where he's better this year. It's the pocket presence the ability to an extend a play about three seconds longer with his feet or just by hanging in there like he did on that play and man there's the difference in the Sooner season right now because it's a very different conversation at six and zero oh and five and one and credit to Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners for getting down the field Todd I want to ask you hand out some flowers pick somebody from this game whether it is Dylan Gabriel it's Jeff Lebby it's the defense Brent Venables. who you got 30 seconds. Give out some flowers for, for, for this win.
1: I think Dylan Gabriel gets the first rose. Um, and listen, I, I know I'm not the first to say it. I know I won't be the last to say it, but there's a lot of Josh Heupel 2000 vibes. I mean, he's a left-handed quarterback. He doesn't have just the rocket arm. He just finds guys that are open and Josh Heupel from 99 to 2000 and I don't know if it just this is a feeling. I don't know if statistically this is true, but it felt like he did start to do a better job of extending plays. And while he was never going to run for 113 yards like Gabriel did, I, I think there's a lot of the same vibes with this team. I don't know if they're as good defensively as 2000, but Dylan Gabriel, I mean, anytime you can be compared to Josh Heupel, you deserve some flowers.
0: Fair enough. Well, Brent Venables pulled out another 2000 comparison post game. My flowers are going to go to the defense. These are the two easiest places for him to go. But a game like this, you don't have to dig very deep. The defense stepped up when it mattered that goal line stand. We heard all week and I still believe this might be the case, at least on breakdown and what we're talking about in terms of NFL talent. Texas is or should be better than Oklahoma at the line of scrimmage, just based on personnel and who they've got. But for those four plays, you had, I think, four or five defenders who got, who got in on the tackles, a lot of combo tackles. Uh, I think it was Billy Bowman and Desan McCullough on the stop on fourth down to keep Xavier Worthy out. They stepped up, and those are the- Kip Lewis
1: on first Kip down? Lewis,
0: oh my goodness. That was after, what I think, who came off the field? Kip Lewis, we noted that he came on, and it was a bit of a curiosity, I guess, because you're, if you're operating with anyone but those three linebackers we expect to see, if you notice it. It was a huge tackle on first down. They kept them out. That was just the, the highlight moment, the encapsulating moment, and a great defensive performance from the Sooners. And afterward, Brent Venables said, you know, I see similarities in this defense to what we had in 2000. Not necessarily the shiniest defense, but a defense that was tough, that was close, uh, that was almost didn't realize how good it was until it, it showed and they knew it. Um, we should probably stop short of making national title defense comparisons yet. Brent Venables didn't, um, but point is the defense was there. It knocked Texas back, not out, but knocked Texas back on its own national title chase, and it's a big reason why we we're sitting here talking. Sooners in the bye week, unbeaten, six and zero, best AP poll ranking, fifth in the country of the Brent Venables era, and firmly in the college football race now. And that's what we're going to dive into next is the fact that. In the snap of a finger Saturday, the Sooners went from, you know, if they'd gone 5-1 and one to the, into the bye week, we'd have said, great, good start to the season, not good enough to beat Texas, had chances maybe to do it. Uh, now the Sooners have to do their thing over the next six weeks to get to that title game. And that's about where we saw them anyway. Instead, they drive down the field, they score, they win 34-30. And we're talking about an Oklahoma team that well ahead of schedule under Brent Venables is not just in the college football playoff conversation, But if you're looking at the schedule and and how it all breaks out for the Sooners, there's no reason they're going to be favored in every game they play from here on out, perhaps even that Big 12 title game, depending on who the opponent is. The path is there for the Sooners to go to the college football playoff. I don't think there would have been many folks. There were more folks saying that last year before Brent Venable's first season, I think, than would have been saying it this August. It's pretty staggering where we stand right now, Todd. I I would say, let
1: me ask you this, because this is something else Jenny and Barry talked about on Monday. Um, if if Oklahoma loses a game, the best thing for them would be to play Texas again in the Big 12 championship game. For Texas, right now, they've got to be rooting for Oklahoma to win every game, because mm-hmm. they need to beat an Oklahoma team if they're going to get in at 12-1. and one. They do have the win over Alabama, which would be huge for them. But if you're an Oklahoma fan right now, I know it's hard to say this, but... Do you root for Texas and hope you see them in the Big 12 title game? And I guess my question kind of back to you is, do you think there's any chance that we see anyone other than Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 title game? Because right now that's, I mean, I'd almost be willing to bet that right now wouldn't put anyone from the field making it into second place.
0: I think it's all the odds makers would have that as the likely matchup. I think all of us who were there on Saturday felt like we were watching round one of a two round fight. Um, and I, I do think it's hard to look out across the Big Twelve right now and see any other team better than these two or at above the level of these two. Now West Virginia. West Virginia, you know, they're I think they're gonna get into West Virginia's gonna get into November. I was looking at it this morning. They're gonna come to Norman with like seven or eight wins, be seven and one or eight 0 If you look at the schedule they play between now and their visit on November eleventh to Norman. Uh, Kansas is the, is the team that actually rightly so should be kind of in this conversation, but they've got a horrible schedule. Well, so there, I think that's actually maybe the bigger story is that there's going to be teams that are in the conversation, whether or not they should be. And I'm not, this is not a knock on the Sooners. They'll be there too. They, they may not be one of the four best teams in the country. That's possible. It's not really knocking them in any way. And it sounds funny to say after this weekend, but let's say they're not schedule might show that they are by the end of the year. It might make it so that they are 12-0 and uh, going to the Big 12 title game, and that'll be their record, and that'll be what gets them into the playoff, especially if they win that title game. The point is, there's a lot of teams in this conference that are going to hang around, I think, by record. I think West Virginia is one of them. Kansas, I-, I think, is legit in terms of the fact that they can score. Uh, I-, I think Jalen Daniels' health is so important. I-, I saw he didn't practice today. That's a really big one to keep an eye on. Maybe he just doesn't position. like practicing. What's that? Maybe he just doesn't like practicing. Well, I, if you're, I've been on some message boards that suggested that very thing. <laughs> the, we're talking about, what, the preseason Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Whatever he's doing, I think, works when Jalen Daniels is on the field. The fact is, he's not right now. That could have some bearing when the Sooners go there in a couple weeks. Might be the biggest game left on the Sooners' schedule is a trip to Lawrence. How about that? What if I told you that two years ago? Um, yeah. You know, here's another thing to
1: consider too, Eli. We're in 2023 right now. If we're in 2024, you might just have OU locked into the playoffs at this point with a 12-team playoff, right? I mean, they'd be playing for a bye week, but I think that also in the future, in games like last week, it's going to make OU Texas even bigger because a lot of years that's going to be the game that gets you or lets you know that you are pretty much locked into a playoff, depending on how the back end of your schedule looks. So... Yeah, I I uh, I think this is one of those years where Oklahoma, especially with the unfortunate circumstance of losing Georgia on the schedule and having to play SMU instead, they're not going to win any tiebreakers because of strength of schedule. And they're playing a Big 12 schedule in a year where the Big Twelve's down, and they're facing a lot of the bottom half of those teams in the Big 12. So, you know, I think they've got to go undefeated, I think, to probably make the Final Four, um, because I think if there's a loss, it's probably in a Big 12 championship game, and that late loss would probably cost them. but. I mean, you you said it before the game. We talked about it last week. The team coming out of this game to win is going to be in the catbird seat for the playoff. And Oklahoma, they've got their own destiny in their hands now.
0: They do. And and so that's the thing. Uh, you're right about the schedule. But if they get to that title game 12-0, and 0, I mean, there's been 16 one-loss conference champions uh, who have made it. So if they take a loss late in the season and go win there, that likely does it. Uh, if they go there undefeated and lose that game, you throw a lot up to chance. But who knows? We have no idea what this college football landscape is going to look like in, uh, in a few weeks or a few months. And as hard as it might have been to say at the start of the season, maybe there's two Big 12 playoff teams. Maybe you know Oklahoma gets there unbeaten, gets knocked off by Texas, and everything else breaks right. The Pac-12 cannibalizes itself. Uh, the Talk SEC about Brett Yormark's worst nightmare. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Brett Yormark, who officially was not on site At the Cotton Bowl. Greg Sankey was, helped court with the the press in the press box with the gathered media beforehand. It very much so made it an SEC game a year before they've got it in the SEC. But looking at this college football playoff discussion, rankings don't come out for another three weeks, so we still got to rely on the AP poll, which I don't think I voiced it much on here, but as a member of the Associated Press underscore, I'm not much of a believer in, in those. If, if you ask me to sit down, it's why I don't really do the polls anymore. I, I didn't watch any other college football game, save for that USC game on Saturday. My head was so deep down. OU Texas So you know, fifth in the, in the, the rankings is where, that, that's what we have for now to look at as far as where OU stands. The college football playoff rankings that start to come and they're, they're their own mess. We're going to debate those over and over and over now that the Sooners are really in this conversation fact is, it'll be some time before we've got meaningful stuff to look at, but they play six games to close out the season. UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, BYU, TCU. It's not an easy, easy run. There's some scheduling stuff in there. You know, that trip to Lawrence, if, J- if Jalen Daniels is playing, is probably the hardest game on that schedule, and it's nothing to be uh, scoffed at. Oklahoma Robo State. Won't be easy. Well it's the thing, Provo is, is the one where you're playing two games in about six days where you got Provo, we think it's gonna be a night game, and then you come back for Black Friday with TCU. Neither of those games individually. I mean Provo's got its own, you know, thing of, of playing a night game out there. But on paper, neither game should scare Oklahoma, but doing it in six days, Thanksgiving turnaround, all of that, perhaps the pressure of of being unbeaten and what that's gonna mean. There's places to trip up. But it's also not a daunting schedule. There's not one game we circle there and say, man, that's going to decide this all. They don't have a bomb waiting for them in November. You look at the ESPN power index. It's the 52nd hardest schedule left in the country. It's not that bad. Uh, Only Florida State of the top 10 teams in the AP top 25 right now has an easier schedule to close the season. So it's all lining up for Oklahoma. If they can take care of business in games, they'll certainly be favored in. I mean, you'd think a lot of those, they'll be double-digit favorites for the most part. Maybe you go on the road and you don't get that, but they're going to be heavily favored. They're going to be a lot better than the teams they're playing. question will be if this Oklahoma team can take care of business down the stretch to keep themselves in the driver's seat like they are right now.
1: Yeah, and I, it's a long season, man. I mean, you know, knock on wood, there are no injuries, um, especially at the quarterback position. And I think just from a selfish standpoint, I just want to see how the year plays out for Dylan Gabriel. That's why I hope there's no injuries because I, I he is really writing a story that could have a storybook ending at Oklahoma. Um, and it goes back to what we've talked about earlier this year, Eli. I think so much of last season, you have to throw into the equation that Dylan Gabriel had the concussion and missed in the middle of the season. I think it threw everything off last year, threw a wrench into everything offensively and they couldn't overcome the defensive struggles he looks like a different uh just you know more confident player this year which is understandable coming off a bad concussion last year he's a year older he looks like a guy who knows what he's doing every play and you know offensively can I just go back and do one thing you we threw out the flowers Mm -hmm. earlier can I give one to the offensive line Um, there you go yeah and here's why. I mean, I know Oklahoma still is not running the ball in big, big chunks like they want to, but I think there are two key things. Number one, one of the biggest plays of the game was Tawi Walker getting off the one yard line for Oklahoma after they got that goal line stop. And mm-hmm. then num- number two, we're looking at a, a quarterback right now in Dylan Gabriel that has the same amount of rushing touchdowns as times he's been sacked this year. And I think if you want to bust the offensive line for not being able to run between the tackles sometimes, that's fine. But keeping your quarterback upright when he's obviously that important, they deserve a lot of credit for that.
0: They've shown to this point. They're 6-0, and and they've done it without much of a running game. They've, they're beginning to get the important runs when they need them, and that can be just as important as running for 250 yards in a game. You mentioned that Tawi Walker run. I, I still think if they need three or four yards, that's the guy they need running the football. Uh, he had that shot, you know, I tweeted, I think in the second quarter, right before halftime, got to find more ways to get the ball in Towie Walker's hands. They tried and the, the throw from Gabriel was a little low, but he dropped a surefire touchdown. But I really do think he's been in the context we're talking about, which is not needing an Adrian Peterson or a DeMarco Murray, but a guy who can get you the yards you need, especially when you're backed up, seems to be that guy. But you're right about the offensive line. And it's now a bit of a question. I'm, I'm headed from this podcast straight to practice in Norman. We'll talk to Brent Venables, get an update on McCade Matoyer, get an update on Troy Everett, the two guards who came out of that game injured. That's a question mark going forward now. And, and I do think maybe the biggest impediment for OU over these next six weeks might not be the teams they play, but it's just health. Can you keep Dylan Gabriel healthy? Can your important guys on defense stay that way? And can the guys on an offensive line that has really been important and probably understated, as always, you know, offensive lines, almost like kickers. You talk about them when they're struggling, when they're not, when they're humming, uh, you just keep quiet. They need those guys healthy. So we're going to see where they're at. We'll know a bit more, maybe tonight, maybe not. Um, but the health part to me is so important uh, in, in getting them to where they want to be come early December. You Good mentioned time for. Good time for a it bye a week. a good time for a bye week. And that might be the biggest blessing in the six and six for them, you know, playing six games and getting the bye. You compare that to, to up in Stillwater, what? They played four games. And shoot, that bye might have helped them with Kansas State. That might have come at the perfect time for them. But when you look at a season, being able to split it six and six, getting a bye week, kind of, it, it's like a, a, any, like a good play, right? has a good intermission. OU is getting its intermission at just the right time. Uh, after beating Texas. I mean, I'm sure they would have gone out and played a game Monday, but getting a chance to get healthy, get right, all that is going to help them. And speaking of people who were right about certain things, Todd, it was September 19th, uh, right after the Tulsa game that you came out and and started. It wasn't much of a whisper. You were were speaking full throttle about Dylan Gabriel as a a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, You brought that back up Saturday. You can tell us a bit about your your clapbacks at the folks who didn't believe you but you were one of the first on the dylan gabriel heisman train and it is at least a discussion now
1: in fairness i i think we're overstating it a little bit and in in usual fashion i'm probably overstating it a little bit but i did say like if they keep winning games and he keeps putting up the numbers how can you not talk about him in the heisman race and and you know I did say if they beat Texas, he would be right in the Heisman race. What I didn't know is that he was going to run for 113 yards and have 398 yards of total offense and lead a winning touchdown drive. I mean, I don't know that Dylan Gabriel is going to win the Heisman because Caleb Williams is just he's, – he's unmistakably the best player in college football, and his numbers are going to be so incredibly gaudy and – you know especially if USC keeps winning these games 43-41 and he's putting up six touchdowns in these games he's gonna he's gonna have huge numbers and he'll win it if he stays healthy but it may not have been a Heisman moment but I think Dylan Gabriel could have had his Heisman finalist moment in the Cotton Bowl last Saturday because he is now on the map in college football that was the biggest game of the day Saturday if you were a college football fan that's what everybody was talking about Saturday and it wasn't you know the fact that Oklahoma got beat 49 nothing or the fact that even some guy made a catch in the end zone that it was Nick Anderson's first catch or even that our coworker's son who's a Red River legend Drake Stoops had two big catches on the last drive it was all about Dylan Gabriel and you know that's the kind of momentum that that historically I've seen it enough and you've seen it enough that players can ride they can ride that high all the way to New York City and with the schedule in front of them I got to think he's going to put up more big numbers if he stays healthy. And I think for sure he's right in the middle of the Heisman conversation.
0: I think that was, if we're looking at it at the end of the season, probably his Heisman moment. If if, if we're having that conversation, he's going to New York as a finalist. Uh, that was Saturday. That was the day, as you said, everyone's eyes were on OU Texas. And the it end was of not- the
1: montage is him with the gold yeah. hat and the lay on, right? Like that's the there end of go. his yeah. Heisman montage. Yeah.
0: Well, see, everybody in America knew Dylan Gabriel's name Saturday afternoon, except for my wonderful, beautiful, faultless mother, who I called on my way out of the Cotton Bowl. and She asked about Gabriel Dillon, but she was on it, and she she knew how well he played. And I think the fact is, that name uh, is carrying far outside of Norman right now. I think that was, if, if we're having that conversation, that's the Heisman moment. You look at the numbers right now, fifth in passing yards, fourth in touchdowns, 16 touchdowns to two interceptions. You mentioned he's been sacked only five times. I do think sacks can be an offensive line stat, but they can also be a quarterback stat, depending on, on how you look at him. Five rushing touchdowns, four-point yards uh, on the ground per carry. His, his running ability, both in terms of what he's doing once he gets beyond the line of scrimmage and what he's doing to extend plays, even getting out of plays, you know, what was a sack, a sack for eight yards a year ago is now a throwaway. And those, are, those can be just as big oh. as the eight-yard completion. Huge. How,
1: how about the fumble that he runs mm-hmm. back and picks up and throws away? Like, that's a huge play early in the game. That mm-hmm. would have been a huge momentum swing, even though it was a third down just for field position sake.
0: I think the fact is, statistically right now, he's up there with the best in the country. He may not be at, at Heisman Uh, front runner worthy on the stats but the way he's playing the way he's carrying this team uh, and the way he carried them on the biggest stage the other day means he's in that conversation I think if he's if they're 12 and 0 and playoff contending come December it's going to be hard to keep him off that list you do have Caleb Williams you have Michael Penix at Washington there's a lot of guys playing really good right now and it's going to come down to things like you know is USC 11 and 1 or do they get eaten up in the Pac-12 as a team, their record, that's going to have a big part in this, but a good, maybe allegory to make. uh, And I I think that you can find parallels between Oklahoma and last year's TCU team in a lot of places, but Max Duggan, he was the guy who carried a team to a national uh, championship game last year. And he wasn't as good as Caleb Williams. And, you know, even Stetson Bennett, maybe Uh, I'm trying to think of who the third guy there was fourth guy. There was uh, the finalist. But the point is, Clearly super memorable, right? Right. Point is. I, I point can't is, think of it either. If Dylan Gabriel has the Sooners in the college football playoff this year, he'll be there, I think, in New York. Doesn't mean he's going to win it, but that's the, they're, they're, to me, the Heisman Trophy, there's you know an individual achievement award part of it, and then there's always the guy there who has carried a team uh, that no one thought necessarily would be in that position to that spot. I think if, if the Sooners are there, Dylan Gabriel will be in New York. Is there a non-quarterback
1: you think that can make it to New York?
0: I mean, if you ask me, I think Brock Bowers is like the most fascinating player in all of college football, the Georgia tight end. Uh, also, that Walter Nolan guy at Texas A&M, I think he had five sacks against Alabama. And he just looked after that game like a guy who had five sacks and watched his team lose because around him, they couldn't get it done. Um, so A&M, isn't it? So A&M. But it's a good question. Is there anyone to you that like, you've seen across the country, non-quarterback? Category, nope. we're talking I mean, about I Heisman think if a quarterback trophy,
1: if we're talking about talents, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is obviously a huge talent, but I don't know that numbers wise, I mean, so hard as a wide receiver to be a Heisman finalist. Um, you know, I no, not really, and that's why, like, I when you think quarterbacks right now, there are three obvious ones that come to mind. Maybe Drake May can put up big enough numbers yeah. by the
0: end of the Tim year, Hartman, Notre Dame would have been another, yeah. but he kind of got exposed against Louisville and. Yep. They could, well, have, and they could, the they could three have three losses
1: by this time right. next week.
0: You're exactly you know? right.
1: So, so I I think Gabriel is right in the middle of the hunt. I mean, knock on wood, he's got to stay healthy. But, you know, with that offensive line keeping them upright the way they are and with a receiving core that has just been a revelation this year for Oklahoma, like it, it's, everything has fallen into place for him right now.
0: You're exactly right. I will say on the receiving core, we were talking about the injuries on the offensive line. Andrell Anthony is another guy we got to find out about. Cause not only has he been impressive in the flashy deep balls and all that, uh, of all the guys catching with 15 or more targets, he's their most reliable receiver. He's catching like 80% of the balls thrown his way. Uh, he's been really important. It looked like you know, he came off the field uh, in the game not looking very good. You heard Chris Plank on the radio broadcast say he looked pretty emotional coming out of the medical tent. He left the field after the game, giving the horns down and looking pretty happy. We'll find out. What he's looking like—that's a big part as well on the offensive side of the back half of this season. Todd, we're gonna finish with the game of Liz in or Liz out. Now you told me last week you're you told me you love a good corny dog, right? Texas State Fair. We're gonna this is the end of the Texas State Fair eating uh, section of the podcast. We're gonna close it out this week. But you're a fan of the corny dog, yeah? Fletcher's corny dog. You're not. Oh, oh, I'm a fan of the Bucky's sausage on a stick. Which is the sausage with like a
1: flour tortilla wrapped around it. Oh, gosh. But the Fletcher's corny dog, not a fan. So here's my take on corny dogs. I think all corn dogs are kind of the same. I Mm. I don't think the Fletcher's is that much better than a Sonic one or anywhere else. yeah, I I know that's sacrilege. I like corn dogs. Like, I'll eat a corn dog and I'll eat a Fletcher's corn dog. But I'm not. When I go to the fair, like, I want to eat something fried and
0: weird that I can't get somewhere else. Well, that's going to be the next question. But on the corn dog front, it doesn't have to be Fletcher's. This happened to be because we were at the Texas State Fair. I got mine post game, couldn't quite sw- swing it uh, pre game. It was packed out there. I got one, ate it then, fabulous, like any good fair corn dog. I brought another with me on the road, mostly as a gag gift for, for somebody. Turns out, 90 minutes later, that corn dog, not as good, not as fresh. Are you Liz in or Liz out on the 90 minute old corn dog? Like, would you eat it? Cause it, I can say this, it was cold. The bread, it turns out it's pretty important that it's like fresh out of the fryer. It just, it got pretty bad, but would you, would you eat it? Are you Liz in or Liz out on the 90 minute old corn dog?
1: I mean, if I'm driving in South Oklahoma and there's not a whole lot of places to mm. stop, I'd probably still be Liz in on it. But I think the play on that is just make it a three. Well, you didn't come all the way home, but just make it a three hour corn dog and pop it in the air fryer when you oh, get home and i think that, cool. that i think that probably fixes it for you but i i would i would regrettably be liz in on the uh 90 minute later corn dog
0: i wonder what the overnight and brought back sunday morning corn dog would have been like in the air fryer can i just I never tell you in and
1: out burger does not hold from dallas to oklahoma
0: city noted well i'd argue in and outs fries don't hold from the kitchen to your table but that's its own discussion. Uh, the other bit of Texas State Fair fair they had the fried fireball shot. They got a lot of attention. angel food cake with fireball malt liquor, not the real stuff, just malt liquor poured over it, and then like deep fried somehow sounded good. All it was was angel food cake sitting in i didn't try it, but in malt liquor. Liz in or Liz out for probably like twelve bucks
1: yeah i'd try it i mean I mean i'll try anything once um. One of the best things I ever had was at the state fair, which it was a peanut butter jelly and bacon sandwich deep fried. Which that sounds fabulous. It was really good. Uh, you deep fry just about anything, and I'll try it. I'm not. I'm not usually a big fan of most of them, but I'll try them. Like I like the fried Oreo. I think the fried Twinkies way overrated. Uh, but like fried butter, I know that's the thing you can get at the Texas State Fair. Fried Coke or fried Pepsi. I mean, yeah, I'll try it. I try probably will like it. it. But yeah, just for it's kind of like one time I went to Times Square on New Year's Eve and it was terrible. Like there were a ton of people. There was like urine on the streets. It was horrible. But I left and I got done with it. And I was like, yeah, I'm glad I did that. Right. I'm glad I'm glad I can say that I did it. Same with the fried fireball shot.
0: You've officially been to Times Square on New Year's Eve more than I have as a New Yorker, because we know to steer well clear, well clear. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian came out and said, he said, I don't think it was toughness at all as it related to the, the goal line stand. He, he felt it was more about the play calls and just the sequence there. You run Jonathan Brooks in the line three times and then you try the goal line screen. Liz in or Liz out? I mean, do you, do you believe? your former, you, you've been in the trenches, Todd. Toughness, not, not at all there? Or, or, or do, you, do you side uh, against Sark? So I'm Liz in if I agree with Sark? I didn't present it great. You're Liz out on his statement or Liz in with his statement. If you agree with him
1: in on his statement, believe it or not, even as a former offensive lineman, I, I think this whole idea of who's tougher. I think all these guys are tough. I'm like, you don't play college football. If you're not tough. I think it comes down to execution in those situations and Oklahoma executed better. I don't think it's because Texas wasn't tough. I think it's because they didn't concentrate enough It Texas between play calling from Sark and the way they executed those plays, they weren't smart enough to score from the one, right? They weren't crafty enough to score from the one. They had big enough guys. They have strong enough guys. They just didn't do a good job executing. So every once in a while, it's fair in sports, I think, to just tip your cap and go, yeah, we got our our tails kicked. And that's what happened to Texas on the one-yard line, four plays in a row. And I – I don't think that means Oklahoma was tougher. I just think that means that they made the plays down there at the goal line. I think that's more of a mental toughness, I guess, than a physical toughness. And I kind of think that's where the question was asked from, right? Is your team tough enough? I think mental toughness, maybe that is a question. But physically, of course, Texas is tough enough to score from the one. I mean, with the rules in football now, everyone should be tough enough to score from the one. They pretty much give it to you if you want to do the quarterback push. So, A lot of credit goes to Oklahoma, but I don't think it's some sort of indictment on his team that they couldn't punch it in four times from the one against a defense that turns out to be pretty good.
0: I think it is worth noting they didn't try Quinn Ewers up the middle any of those times. Whether you're doing a tush push or not, um, I don't know enough about Texas's short yardage game to know if Quinn Ewers is a liability in those situations or they don't like giving him that shot. But the fact is you got to get a foot and Quinn Ewers is six feet. There's some basic math in, in trying to get them over that line. Uh, Kansas, is that the toughest game left on Oklahoma's schedule? Liz in or Liz out? Regular season schedule.
1: I mm, Game's in Norman or is it in
0: Lawrence? It's, it's in Lawrence, Lawrence right? It might be a night game too. Good environment. I'm say, I'll it. say Liz okay. in.
1: Yeah, I think that's the toughest game. I think, I think in Provo's the tougher location to go play, but I think Kansas is the more dangerous team with Jalen Daniels. Um, again, like you said earlier, his health is paramount. But yes, I think that's the toughest game left on the regular season schedule at Kansas.
0: Toughest home game, West Virginia. That That's a list that includes uh, UCF and TCU. It might be a process of elimination there, but Liz in or Liz out on that. I'd say Liz in as
1: well. I think West Virginia, like you said, they've got a chance to rattle together some wins and you know, if you think they're not going to come in frothing at the mouth, if they're 7-1 and one or 6-2 and two or whatever, thinking they've got a chance to knock off a playoff team, then you're kidding yourself. And uh, credit to you. You early on in this season said Neil Brown was going to be fine this year, and Neil Brown's got it going at West
0: Virginia. Neil Brown told us all he was going to be fine, and now he's backed it up. It's so credit to him. Last one here. I don't know if you saw this. Folks at home saw this. Danny Stutzman, Jaron Kanick went out and commemorated the win over Texas by getting horns down uh, tattoos right on their thighs. It's the it's not the hands, but it is the uh, the actual Texas logo. My contention is, I wonder what perspective they have on it themselves. Literally, as like when they look at it, it, looks like just a regular Texas logo. But you, yeah, you, Liz in or Liz out on the horns down tattoos, Todd?
1: Not a fan. I mean, to each their own. I'm Liz out on it personally. Um, To each their own. I think it's, I think it's like okay, it's tacky, but in the case of Danny Stutzman, it's like joyously and delightfully tacky, and I kind of love it for him. Like it fits perfectly for what he's all about, and I think, you know, the fact that he's doing that and Jaron Canick's doing it with him, that's the kind of this sounds really cheesy, but that's the kind of culture and closeness that really good teams have and really good defenses have, and I think. When Brent Venables talks about comparing to the 2000 defense, those type of things are a lot of the same type of stories you would hear from that 2000 defense and those really good early
0: 2000s Oklahoma defenses. So did you just talk yourself into it?
1: No, I'm Liz out on the idea of the Horns Down tattoo just in general. Um, I'm Liz in on living your life, making yourself happy, and uh, on camaraderie. And I think that probably brought some of it.
0: Well, fair enough. And I'm with you there. I don't, tattoos, whatever you want to do with them, you do with them. Can we get matching tattoos? Yeah, let's do it. Letterman jacket on on our shoulder blades. You and me. It's pretty good. Okay. I do my, again, it's the practical. Uh, You can consider Danny Stutzman will be sitting down in a pair of shorts. And if they ride up enough, his thigh, you will see not a horns down logo if you're Danny Stutzman, just a Texas logo. So that's where I'm, I'm on. I'm on the practical end here, as usual, as you know, Todd. I overthink. Well, but here's the thing, Eli. Anytime mm-hmm. you look at it from,
1: you're going to be looking down. So if you get a horns down tattoo, it's always going to look like horns up,
0: right? Well, that's what I'm saying, and that is the issue with the tattoo. Maybe you get it on the sense.
1: forehead, though,
0: because you never can't see it. see
1: it unless you're looking in a mirror. I think I've solved it, and I think if Jaron Canick and Danny Stutzman want to really make some noise they get like a mike tyson like horns down over here on the side
0: back next week for more suggestions tattoo suggestions for Todd lisenby that see there you go that's that is thinking three steps down the road and that's what we do here at the letterman jacket that's how we have guys picking heisman hopefuls in september look at that that's my Heisman, heisman pose. that's the best lisenby. i can do we're gonna close there if you haven't subscribed yet please do subscribe Apple, YouTube, Spotify uh, to the Letterman Jacket. And uh, please find all of our coverage at selloutcry.com. You can find me at eli-letterman.com. Todd, what do you got going this week?
1: Uh, I've got ranking something silly. We're going to talk about the best sports to fall asleep to this week. With OU's uh, bye week, I thought maybe some people might want to get some rest in Saturday. The best sports you can fall asleep to.
0: Best sport I fell asleep to this week was that USC game, but that had nothing to do with the game. I just fell asleep watching that thing.
1: How about this? Man City wins the Premier League. You get a Man City tattoo. Tottenham wins it. I get a Tottenham tattoo.
0: We got to adjust the stakes there, but perhaps. (laughs) We'll discuss this more. We'll discuss it on the next Letterman Jacket pod. We'll be back Wednesday with Garen Emig and back, as always, on Letterman Jacket for all the OU coverage you are looking for. Thanks for listening.